the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. So I am on the board of ICM, or Interfaith Cooperative Ministries, and a couple of weeks ago we had a board retreat. And like you do in these sort of things, we had a uh, beginning thing where we introduced ourselves, told a little bit about ourselves, and they asked that we share one thing that would be of interest or not known um, about yourself. And I hate it anytime that happens because I never can think of a thing to say that's of interest to anyone. So I fell back on my usual, which was to say, I have five grandchildren, which is really not a surprise to anybody because I'll tell anyone who asks that I have five grandchildren. And so they were probably just really grateful that I didn't whip out my iPhone and go, look at the pictures. So it occurred to me later that what I could, what I could have said that was maybe a little bit odd or a little bit different is that I read the New York Times obituaries every single day. I find them fascinating. Um, It's a veritable who's who of the famous, the not-so-famous, and the infamous. Heroes and villains. The obituaries in the New York Times, for me, are kind of windows into the lives of people I've never heard of before, or I only knew by name from the news. Many are about some obscure individual who lived very quietly, died quietly, but had done some incredibly amazing things. So on July 2nd, uh, there was an obituary, and it was published for a British man by the name of Nicholas Winton, who died at 106 years of age. The obituary related that in 1938, Nicholas Winton left his job as a stockbroker in London and he flew to Prague, Czechoslovakia, to work with a friend who was aiding refugees. Mr. Winton found camps of refugees, for the most part Jewish, living in horrific conditions. War looked inevitable at that time, and escape, especially for children, seemed hopeless, given the restrictions against Jewish immigration in the West The borders were closed up tight in the United States and most everywhere else. The only country that was taking refugees at that time was England. So Mr. Winton saw a need, and he began a mass rescue operation to move Jewish children from Prague. His work involved dangers and desperate and grieving parents, bribes, forgery, secret contacts with Gestapo agents, eight railroad trains, and raising a lot of money. Hours before Hitler invaded Poland and all borders were closed, the first group of children left Prague by train, separated from their families, 
forever. Most of their parents died in concentration camps. Seven of the eight trains got through for a total of 669 children. The eighth train did not, and 250 children were lost forever. The borders were closed, and Mr. Winton's rescue efforts came to an end, and he never spoke of it again until his wife discovered his personal papers in 1988. At last count, the descendants of the 669 children that he saved exceed 6,000 people, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. When he was asked, why, why did you do this? He simply said, there were children in danger. It was just something that needed to be done. And he found a way to help and to save lives of countless children. So at the same time that Mr. Winton's death was being reported, there was a trial going on in Germany for another man for war crimes. Former SS officer Oskar Groening is charged with 300,000 counts of accessory to murder in his role in the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp. Groening was responsible for collecting cash and valuables from the arriving prisoners. He witnessed atrocities, and though he testified that he took no part, he did nothing. He said nothing. He was troubled enough by what he saw to ask for a transfer to the war front. But still, he went along, like so many, many others. Nicholas Winton saw evil, and he personally fought it. Oscar Groening, troubled conscience or not, did nothing and said nothing. So I thought of Nicholas and Oscar when I read the gospel appointed for today, this kind of grisly, disturbing gospel lesson, which seems to come from nowhere. The last several weeks we've been hearing about Jesus preaching and teaching and healing, and the next several weeks Jesus will be teaching and feeding the multitudes who have been following him. Stories that tell us the good news of Jesus' ministry and love for all who follow him. But today... We have this story of John's beheading, and it's a shocking story. Herod has thrown a big party for himself. It's his birthday. Why not? The food and the wine has been plentiful. Then a young girl dances, and Herod is so entranced that he offers her half of his kingdom, or whatever it is she wants. And she asks for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod is reported to be deeply grieved as he knew that John was a righteous and holy man. But he agrees, and he gives a command. And immediately, soldiers were sent to bring back John's head for the entertainment of the guests. This story will be repeated with the trial and the crucifixion of Jesus with his death at the hands of Pilate. Pilate found no guilt, went along with the crowd, 
washes his hands of any responsibility and gives the command, crucify him. Herod and Pilate made their choices, troubled conscience or not, for comfort and for power. So perhaps this story today is meant to shock and disturb us, to shake us out of our complacency, to shock us out of an easy faith that comes at little or no cost to us. Choosing to follow Jesus will not and should not be the safe and comfortable thing to do. But through our baptismal vows, we agreed to go on this journey, following Jesus together, to love one another as we are so loved, striving for justice and peace, and respecting the dignity of each and every child of God. So would you speak up? Would I speak up in the face of an injustice or evil? Or to ensure the dignity and worth of others? That if by doing so, I might lose my job, my livelihood, or risk alienating my friends or my family or my faith community? Or would I choose to remain silent? Would you or would I protest unjust law or government action, risking my safety and my freedom? Would I stand up to those in authority or power if I witnessed injustice or evil? I don't know. There's been much change in this country for the last several weeks. Marriage equality ruling from the Supreme Court, along with the approval of marriage equality for all Episcopalians at our general convention, there's an increasing sense of urgency and a push for a real conversation about sexism, race, and racism, guns, and violence. And Friday, we saw the removal of the Confederate flag, a symbol of hate and prejudice to many, come down from where it has flown at the State House in Columbia, South Carolina, since the 1960s. And as we applaud these actions and marvel how quickly everything seems to have changed and continues to change, we forget sometimes that these actions didn't occur in a vacuum. That for a long time, people have been risking their jobs, their livelihood, their relationships, and their very safety for these momentous events to have occurred. Those who have taken the risk, they've made the choice to stand up and speak for what is right and for what is just, some by simply being a witness, and others through their words, their presence, their actions, and their deeds, some through the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. All have helped the arc of the moral universe bend just a little bit more toward justice. In the closing Eucharistic convention this year, the presiding bishop, Michael Carey, preached on the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And remember, I am with you always till the end of the ages. And what he reminded his listeners was that the operative word here was go. If you remembered nothing else he said, 
Remember the word go. Jesus didn't come into this world to leave it the way he found it. He came in to show us the way. We are called to go out and follow him. Jesus sent the disciples out into the world to preach and teach in his name. He sent them, and he's sending us, each one of us, to go out and make the world a little bit better than we found it, to continue to bend that ark even further toward justice. While following Jesus may not always be safe or easy, the rewards are great. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we are reminded of God's incredible love for us. It's excessive, it's tender, and it's richly abundant. We've been signed, sealed, and delivered to the Holy Spirit into something that's far greater than ourselves. So most of us will never face the clear life and death choices made by Nicholas Winton or Oscar Groening. But every day we are called to confront the wrongs that we see around us, speaking up and speaking for those who have been marginalized or alone or afraid, the weak, the lost, the sick, the prisoner, and those in sorrow or in danger. So let us go out those doors without counting the cost, knowing the risks, secure in God's abundant love, and choose to live fully and completely into God's dream for every one of us. Amen.